passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. High drive, center field, hit the wall, grand slam. This is magnificent. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Oh, hey, what do you know? Trevor Bauer tinkered with his pitch mix and had his worst start of the season. Never would have saw that coming. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball Today. Frank Stanfield here alongside Scott White on a Tuesday, August 25th. Scott, every couple of weeks, I just have to check in and make sure that you're doing all right. How's life, Scott? How are your fantasy baseball teams doing? Ah, yes, you go from life immediately to the fantasy baseball teams. It's almost as if you don't care about the life, Frank. That's how it comes across to me. You have a life outside of fantasy baseball? Come on, Scott. Offended by your insensitivity. Of course I do, but it's not very interesting. So that's fine. I'll talk about my fantasy baseball teams. And uh, they're doing well. They're doing well. I have noticed that my team's drafted pre-shutdown are are doing better than the ones drafted post shutdown basically across the board um and the only reason i can figure for that and you know maybe it's just a coincidence cuz we're dealing with samples of a handful here for each but the only reason i can think of for that is i kind of took i, I kind of lost my nerve and going aggressively after the high end starting pitching pitchers or maybe it's less that i lost my nerve than that I expect others I expected others to change their approach since the the narrative was all oh pitching's going to suffer remember that and uh, so I expected them to let pitching fall more and for me to get it for even cheaper than I was pre lockdown and that didn't happen so I ended up you know pre lockdown I was going like four starting pitchers with my first seven picks and it ended up being more like three starting pitchers with my first seven picks and and generally less high end and uh, those teams are all doing worse. So that's that's something I've noticed. We but actually, only... Actually, the podcast league, I'm now under 500. But that's... I don't know that I'm uncompetitive in any league. So it's it's been a pretty good year. We actually have an interesting email on that a little bit later on. Our email of the day is regarding your strategy of drafting pitching early. So it's going to be interesting to uh, get your take on that. And I can confirm that the only thing that I know that Scott likes outside of fantasy baseball is uh, the Franklin the Turtle, the, because he just comes into our Zoom chat every day and he just starts singing, hey, it's Franklin. And I think he's doing it just to torment me, but... You just remind me of it now, because you, you brought it back into my life. There was a period I'm when so I was, happy I could do so. I was showing it to my older son, and you know the song gets in your head. And I'm somebody, when a song's in my head, I wear it out. I am singing it constantly. <laughs> To the point that everybody in my house, including my kids, ask me to stop. And uh, I don't know. You you sang it one day early on, and it's been in my head every time I see you ever since. So thank you for that, Frank. I'm I'm sure I'm sure you're thanking yourself for that. Well, Scott, you could sing as much as you want on this show. I will I will never stop you some, from singing. If you ever just want to break out into Franklin, the, yeah, feel free. There, there just, might there, there there might be. My inhibitions might be a little higher here than, you know, in quiet moments at home. But we'll see. We'll see. All right. Today on the show, we have Did You Know? I have some random stats entering Monday's action, some of them including Monday's action as well. Some Monday standouts, some midseason leaders and lessons learned. Team name Tuesday. I've completely overbooked the rundown, which means we'll get to like half of these things. But let's jump right in. Oh, my good goodness gracious. 
All right, Scott, who is your oh my goodness gracious Monday standout, whether good or bad? It's actually a loser from Monday, a loser by the name Luzardo, but it's not that he lost. It's actually a a good thing. Luzardo, for the second straight start, set a career high in innings with 6.2. It was 6.1 last time, 6.2 this time. I say career high, I mean for his entire professional career, including the minors, where he had all of two six-inning starts the whole time he was down there. And... Considering he has just as many in his last two starts as he had for all of his minor league career, I don't think that's a standard we need to keep referring to anymore because like, clearly they were being cautious with him in the minors, but, but clearly he has the pitch mix and is efficient enough to eat the innings and they're giving him to him. They're feeding him to him, him in this shortened season where, uh, where winning is even more important than development. And he's a big part of them winning, and he's doing well with those innings. I mean, he lost today, but you know, three three earned runs and six and two thirds innings with seven strikeouts. It was it was a good performance, one where he deserved to go six and two thirds innings. And I think we're going to see a lot of quality starts from Jesus Lazardo going forward. Yeah, and I came away pleasantly pleased with. Jesus Lazardo on Monday. You mentioned his line there: thirteen swinging strikes on ninety six pitches. And again. Outside of that one start where he had to fill in for Frankie Montas and he found out he was pitching that day, he allowed six earned runs in that start against the Giants. He's allowed two runs or less in his other four starts that he's made outside of that start. So he's been really good. And honestly, if I had him on my fantasy team, I'd feel pretty good about it, especially in a points league where he has SPARP eligibility. He was one of those players where leading right up to the season, he fell down draft boards because of the whole COVID situation. But I really don't have any concerns anymore considering that they're upping his workload again. That is Jesus Lazardo. For me, Scott, I'm going to go the other way. Talk about another rookie. Casey Mize going up against the Cubs on Monday. Three and a third, five hits, four runs, three earned, two walks, and two strikeouts. The command was not there. I watched a lot of this start. Only nine first pitch strikes to the 19 batters that he faced And Scott, someone asked me on Twitter earlier if I would drop Casey Mize for Kerbin Burns. And I said, yes, I would. So where are we at on Casey Mize? Most people probably picked him up expecting to use him consistently. But maybe, you know, after this first of a two-star week, you're not as confident in Casey Mize anymore. At least for redraft purposes. Uh, I mean, when when you set the alternative as high as Corbin Burns, who I think could be a total stud the rest of the season. Like, I would drop Mize for Burns, too. Absent that choice, though, I I don't see too many starting pitchers out there that I would even consider in place of Mize, who, you know, the whiffs have been there. Nine whiffs on 76 pitches and a good pitch mix. Four-seam sinker, splitter, slider today threw them almost evenly. They were responsible for an almost even number of those swinging strikes. It's, it's a... It's a fleshed-out arsenal. Obviously, he's going to go through some growing pains, but the talent is pretty obvious for Casey Mize. And uh, I don't know who's out there that would even tempt you uh, beyond Burns. Like, well, Let me ask you, Scott. I, I could see being tempted by uh, Eliezer Hernandez. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the or, new age stallions. Sixto Sanchez and Eliezer Hernandez. Would you drop Mize for either of those? I don't. I don't think I would. I don't. I don't think the upside is as high for those two. And uh, in the case of Hernandez, I think the downside is considerably lower. So uh, I'm not saying Sanchez or Hernandez are bad pickups, but I I would still rather have mice. What about you? What about you, Frank? What would you do? Yeah, I think long-term Mize has more upside, but just watching that start today, I, like, the Tigers are not going to give him a lot of run support. Not that the Marlins are either, but the defense looked very bad behind him as well. I might take Sixto Sanchez over him. I, I think that they're, they probably have similar upside Mize again, more long-term upside, but uh, the ability to get ground balls, good command for Sixto, decent strikeout stuff, good park to pitch in. I can mm. see doing it for for Sixto Sanchez. I wouldn't do it for Eliezer Hernandez. One more I'll ask you about, Scott. Would you do it for Justice Sheffield, who we spoke about on yesterday's show? He still has 50% rostered, three straight quality starts where he has allowed one earned run or less in each of those three. He has 
16 strikeouts to just two walks over those three starts. Justice Sheffield, what do you think? No, of the four pitchers we've mentioned here, my Sanchez, Hernandez, and Sheffield. Sheffield, I rank the lowest of them. I don't. I think he has the least strikeout potential. I think he's on the worst team. Like the, the Mariners look like one of the clearest sellers at the deadline. I don't think it's so clear that the Marlins are going to be sellers. And uh, the Tigers, I mean, they'd probably be sellers too, but I don't know that they have as much to sell as the Mariners do because <laughs> their best players are all building blocks. Um, yeah, so I, I think Sheffield's the last of that group for me. By the way, of them, like I, Sixto Sanchez, since you made the case for Sanchez over Mize, I, I think he might have the highest floor of them since he is such a good ground ball pitcher and... Uh, I don't think, I don't think there were walks really in his history either. No, he has good uh, command in the minors for Sixto Sanchez. Yeah. So not yeah. a lot of walks. I, I would rank the four. I actually would go Sixto Sanchez, Marco, uh, Marco Gonzalez. I got Mariners on the brain. Uh, yeah. I would go Justice Sheffield and then Casey Mize and Eliezer Hernandez last of that group. So has just been. So what? I, what do you expect to see from Sheffield? I don't know that he's going to be as good as he has been recently, but I mean, the fact that he's getting a decent amount of strikeouts while not walking anybody, I'm somewhat intrigued. And another one who pitches in a decent park as well. I mean, wins are not, are not going to be easy to come by for any of these pitchers. They all pitch for, you know, subpar teams, but mm-hmm. I, I like what I've seen from justice Sheffield. So uh, yeah, I'll throw him ahead of Mize. It just, they're not letting Mize go deep into Starts so far, he's not throwing that many pitches. The command is off, so uh, I'm a little bit down on him in redraft leagues. Don't worry about him in dynasty or keeper settings. News and notes, Scott. Charlie Blackman scratched on Monday due to left quad tightness. He is day-to-day. On the other side of the field, Merrill Kelly was scratched from Monday's start and then placed on the IL with a right shoulder nerve impingement. There is no timetable for his return. Uh, I don't know what that is, a right shoulder nerve impingement, but it doesn't sound very good. So I hope you were able to get him out of your lineups. It, he was scratched like 15 minutes before he was supposed to start. So just a tough situation there. Also tough. Randall Grichuk left Monday's game with lower back tightness, which sucks because he went two for four with his seventh home run and three RBI before he left. Uh, apparently they took him out of the game as a precaution. Scott is very I subtly so. shaking his head. <laughs> I, I hope so because I had him... As like my number four sleeper hitter for this week, even though he went three for 23 in his previous five games. So he cooled off, but then he caught fire right at the start of the week again. So hopefully he's back and, uh, you know, the back issue is not a big deal. Kevin Kiermeyer also left Monday's game with a right with right foot discomfort. X-rays came back negative, so it looks like he's avoided anything major. Uh, Justin Verlander threw 20 pitches Sunday and felt good afterwards. Verlander made one start this season before being shut down with a forearm injury. So if you manage to stay afloat and you still have Verlander on your team, it could be a nice little pick-me-up if we can get that around the start of September uh, for the final stretch run there in fantasy baseball. Jose Quintana will be activated off the IL Tuesday and will be first used out of the bullpen for the Cubs. Uh, Tyler Chatwood will also be activated Tuesday and will start against the Tigers, which is a pretty good matchup. So if you uh, have him in a daily lineup league, you can, I would say, throw Tyler Chatwood in there against the Detroit Tigers. The Indians have yet to announce their starter for Wednesday. Sandy Alomar Jr. did say he hopes the team can move past the Clevenger and Plesak situation. Quote, We'd love to have one of those guys pitch if we could, but that's a decision for the front office slash team that they have to make. So this is that's interesting for a couple reasons because one, I think it's the first we've heard any any semblance of a plan for what's going to happen with those two. Have just been uh, it's it's like they've been erased from existence. And the other thing is, Sandy Alomar sounds like he's speaking for the team, and the team. Uh, blame isn't the right word, but it was, it, it was suggested that the team didn't want them around and that's why they were sent down. So that, that that's interesting. It is. Interesting. I, I, I kind of feel like only one's going to get called up at least, at least as long as McKenzie, Tristan McKenzie keeps pitching. Well, there's really only room for one. And if they keep the other down for 
just a couple more weeks, they get an extra year of service time. So, you know, you might say it's icky or whatever, but why wouldn't they do that? You know, if the option presents itself and at this point, they'd have to be removing somebody else who deserves a job to get them in. Yeah. And look, if you can get an extra uh, year of service time for Mike Clevenger, that's probably the route that they want to go down, although he gives them a better chance to win. Or so we think. I mean, Plesak was really good as well. So we'll see what happens between Clevenger and Plesak. It's just been a very crazy situation from a fantasy perspective. The Pirates. I have three prospects I want to ask you about here, Scott. The Pirates are expected to promote their top prospect, Cabrian Hayes, from their alternate training site in the coming days. Stephen J. Nesbitt of The Athletic Reports. Former first-round pick in 2015. Hit 265 with 10 home runs and 12 steals in 110 games at AAA last year. He is Scott's number 75 fantasy prospect. What is the interest level there, Scott? Pretty pretty low. Pretty low. He's one of those prospects who's rated highly among prospects for a long time, largely because of his defense, and yet scouts keep there, there keeps there are continuing suggestions that he could develop as a hitter, and he makes pretty good contact. Uh, occasionally, occasionally you see that guy blow up when he reaches the majors. The the most famous example, at least in recent memory, is Francisco Lindor. Uh, but it, he's not the only one. Occasionally, you see that player blow up. But based on the minor league track record, I think I, I don't think Brian Hayes is going to be one of those prospects we're rushing to add as soon as he's called up. Well, maybe we'll be rushing to add Ian Anderson, the Braves' top pitching prospect. So I know this is of extra interest to you, Scott. Uh, And last year in the minors, 3.38 ERA, 1.25 whip, 172 strikeouts across 135 and two-thirds innings. Lots of strikeouts, but also lots of walks. He's your number 29 fantasy prospect. How excited would you be if Ian Anderson were to to, to get the call for tomorrow? He could debut as soon as... Uh, Tuesday when you're listening to this against the Yankees? Well, unfortunately, this might be a little too close to me because I have lost confidence in the Braves' ability to develop starting pitchers. But Max Freed! Max Freed and Mike Soroka are two success stories. They're the only two success stories (laughs) of something like 15 highly regarded pitching prospects during this rebuild. Most of them have been pretty dramatic Flops to this point. I mean, the story isn't entirely written for Tuki Toussaint or Kyle Wright, but you know, I I feel like somebody like Sean Newcomb. Uh, I could go through a lot of examples of guys who who they basically whiffed on. And of course, you get that with every organization, but this seems like a startlingly low percentage. And it's not like Ian Anderson is this. I don't have a lot of confidence he's actually ready, too. I mean, his development is happening behind in the dark right now. So I, I don't I don't really know how things have changed from last year, but it's not like he was earning a lot of buzz every time he started in spring training. He got called up a triple eight let a last triple A late last season, and it went very poorly for him. Uh, he lost some velocity last year. There are issues with his secondary arsenal, um, just some inconsistencies there. So, like, the fact they haven't called him up yet leads me to believe it's not so apparent to them he's ready either. And, I mean, he's a legit prospect, a highly regarded one. I'm just, I'm just not, I'm not super confident. And, like, I wouldn't be dropping Casey Mize or anybody like that for him if it's, I think somebody asked both of us on Twitter, Frank, would you drop Luke Weaver for Ian Anderson? Uh, Luke Weaver's, his last two starts have been pretty good, and we both said no. So even that level of pitcher, I wouldn't be willing to do for it. Sounds like you wouldn't be willing to do for it either. You know, if you have a roster spot to burn, you're desperate for pitching help, take a flyer, see where it goes. Maybe I'm dead wrong on this one, but I don't. I don't have a great feeling about it. Yeah, I think in deeper leagues, you could take a shot for now. I would say he's behind all the names we mentioned earlier, Scott, just in terms of starting pitchers you might want to add. The uh, the Marlins guys, Sixto Sanchez, Eliezer Hernandez, Casey Mize, Justice Sheffield. Uh, I would have Anderson behind all of those. Do you agree? Yes, yes. What's a good example of a pitcher I would drop him for? Uh, nothing's coming to mind. 
I have the most dropped list up, and it is just a bunch of names that are just on the IL. How about Mike yeah, Miner? That's, would you that's drop, usually how the most dropped list Would you, would you drop looks, Mike Miner, Scott? I would drop Mike Miner for Ian Anderson. I have no faith in Mike Miner anymore. How about Ross Stripling? Yes. How about Spencer Turnbull? Yes, I'd drop him. How about Austin Voth, who was crap on uh, Monday? Obviously, and it's Voth, by the way, not oh, Voth. Voth. I learned that the other day. All right, I mean, what's we had we had Bomb, now it's Bohm. We had Voth, now it's Voth. What are we doing here, Scott? We're neglecting the long O. <laughs> I thought we were. I thought we were professionals. We're not. <laughs> we're, we're clearly not. It's just a facade. All right, one more <laughs> prospect for you. Leody Tavares was recalled and led off for the Texas Rangers on Monday. He went one for three with a walk. He is known for his speed in the minors. He hit 279 last year with 32 steals between high A and double A. Has not reached triple A yet uh, and is still with the Rangers and leading off for them, Scott. So what do you think about Leody Tavares? Another glove-first prospect who showed better in the rankings than his numbers would suggest. I th- he, he definitely needs to prove something before I'm going to make a move for him. All righty. Did you know? A bunch of Monday standouts, but I've got some random stats here. And Scott, Juan Soto had four hits on Monday, two doubles, and he has an 815 slugging percentage, which... It's just mind-blowing. Uh, did you know that he's averaging five fantasy points per game, which is tied with Fernando Tatis for number one in all of baseball? He's first in ex-woba, first in ex-slugging percentage, and fourth in expected batting average. Juan Soto. He's pretty good, Scott. It is pretty good. <laughs> yeah. It, I, I mean, just when you think he's fully developed, he... he he manages to get better and like he's still so young that maybe it shouldn't be surprising it's just at some point you feel like he's got to max out his potential as a hitter right but he's striking out you know 50% less than he was last year so of course he's hitting for a higher average he's making even harder contact he's I mean he's just gotten better and uh I think uh I think might be positioning himself to be a top three pick next year yeah, I was just thinking, you know, if we're redrafting today, the only two players that probably go ahead of him, and you can make the argument that Shane Bieber should go ahead of him if you want pitching, but Mike Trout and Mookie Betts, those are probably the only two names, and, you know, maybe Fernando Tatis in a Roto League, but... Yeah, I mean, I'm certainly not ruling out Yelich, Bellinger, uh, or another starting pitcher just catching fire in September and reworking the math there, but... Or, or Cunha. Um, but yes, as, as things stand today, if, if the season was ending today and we were drafting for 2021, those would probably be the top three trout bets and Soto, maybe with a pitcher, probably Bieber in the discussion as well. Kenta Maeda was at the Cleveland Indians on Monday, five innings of one run ball, seven strikeouts, 15 swinging strikes on 83 pitches. Scott, did you know? That outside of Maeda's no-hitter, he's been held to 85 pitches or less, which is exactly what we spoke about last time. He did almost throw the no-hitter. It seems like this is the plan for Kenta Maeda, and I don't know that it's going to change. I don't think he's a sell-high candidate either, Scott. Uh I just think that he's going to be really good in like five or six innings and around 85 to 90 pitches. So I think he's just like a top 20 pitcher with that in mind. Yeah, I did know that because I've been talking about it too. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure necessarily that this is the plan that the Twins are always going to pull him at 85 pitches unless he's throwing a no-hitter. I think the fact he threw 30, 35 more in that no-hitter and was just as effective, I mean, he, he, I would hope that means he proved to them that he can do it. He proved to all of us that he can do it. Um, I think it's largely just a case of them not needing him to do it yet. I mean, he's 4-0 in those six starts. So clearly they've been going well team-wise. And, uh, you know, most of them have been six innings, which most rare is it that any starting pitcher goes much more than that. So I, I, I don't know that it's a strict pitch thing. 
I think it still remains to be seen, but I wish, I wish we would start seeing him working into the seventh more because I think he's capable of it. Yeah, I certainly think he is capable of it as well. It's just, look, maybe they just know something that we, that we don't. And we've talked about this before. The third time through the lineup, his numbers in his career are actually not bad. So uh, maybe they're just trying to protect him from himself. Again, that's Kenta Maeda. I don't think he's a sell high. Scott, it sounds like you don't think he's a sell high. He's just, he is who he is. He's a top 20 starting pitcher, and that's that's fine by me. Uh, Scott, Aaron Savale, another quality start on Monday. Six innings, three runs, eight strikeouts, just one walk. He has now gone at least six innings in every start this season. He has quality starts in five out of those six starts. Uh, 14 swinging strikes on 95 pitches. And did you know that Savale is a top 12 starting pitcher in fantasy points per game in head-to-head points leagues? And this might be a bit of a hot take, Scott. Hot take Tuesday. But I will take Aaron Savale over Carlos Carrasco and Tyler Glass now rest of season in a points league. Boom. I would not. So I wish I had Savale to offer those trades to you. I don't have them anywhere. So maybe maybe it's just sour grapes. I don't know. Uh, I, I talked about him as a sell high candidate after his last start. Kind of concerned about the way the pitch mix was trending. He started throwing his fastball more and that was my whole reasoning for why he was doing better at the start is he was throwing it less. Now all of a sudden he's throwing his curveball. More his last two starts, especially this one, a lot more curveballs, and he had 14 whiffs in it, responsible for those eight strikeouts. I mean, those are both good numbers. If he does throw the curveball more too, a curveball is typically a ground ball pitch. Uh, I don't, I can't, I, I'm not sure how to look up specifically how, what percentage of ground balls he gets on his curveball, but it's typically a ground ball pitch. So if he can become more of a ground ball pitcher and a bat misser, then like the, all my concerns are relieved. So I'm just kind of confused about Aaron Savale right now. Uh, I think he's pretty good. I don't know if he's really good. I still feel like last now and Carrasco, despite their inconsistencies this year, are really good. In a points league, just because Glass now, the walks have been an issue. He's not really pitching that deep in terms of innings. Uh, same thing with Carrasco. He's just been walking more people. That that wasn't his issue in his most recent start. He gave up a couple of home runs and a lot of hard hits. So, so I'm just slightly thrown off by Carrasco a little bit. Uh, and Savale, I just think, is going to go more consistently uh, deeper into starts than someone like Glass now. So in a points league, I'll do it. Roto, uh, I'll, I'll still take those other names over Aaron Savale. Scott, did you know that Miguel Sano has eight straight games with an extra base hit? He went one for four on Monday with his sixth home run of the season. He is now batting 241 with an 896 OPS. Before this eight-game hitting streak, he was batting 140 with a 632 OPS, and that is how quickly some of these things can turn around, especially for a streaky hitter like Miguel Sano, Scott. Yeah, I think he's shaping up to be exactly what we thought he was going to be. He's still, like his strikeout rate is 43.4% for the season, which is obviously not something anybody can survive. Uh, but it's trending down while those other numbers are trending up. And it's it's such a small sample that I think, you know, I think he's going to get that into the mid-30s here sooner than later and end up being exactly what we drafted him to be. So it's... It's uh, it's tough waiting out those dry patches, uh, particularly in a really short season and particularly from a player who's been pretty hit or miss in the past. But uh, your patience is being rewarded now if you stuck with Sano. And I think it will for most every other hitter who's struggling too, by the way. I think they will all get their turn to to produce because like that's how baseball works some players are producing for a couple weeks then it's some other players turns to produce and you know we've only had we're in our fifth week now yeah it can it can really warp your uh your approach if if you don't keep that in mind that that's that's normally the way the game works i'm not saying every hitter who's struggled will turn it around of course it makes sense that some won't but i'm saying i don't I don't think anybody can have a great grasp of who will or who won't at this point. Yeah, and it's it's especially tough, and I've used this example before, because last year, Jose Ramirez was not good for you know almost the first three months of the season. That could be, you know, 
Christian Yelich this whole season. He could just be in a two-month slump, and we would have never known if this plays out over the course of a full season. Maybe it's the final four months where he just goes ballistic. You know, like these, yeah. those things just happen over the course of a full baseball season. And we warned you. In a shortened season, thing, crazy things were going to happen, specifically on Miguel Sano. Um, obviously, because he strikes out a lot, he is a better player in Roto versus head-to-head points, but even more so for how he gets his numbers because he is so mm. streaky. And that's something I've always said about Justin Upton. If you look at like mm. his monthly OPS every single year, it's like one month is awesome, one month is terrible. So there are some players that are just better for Roto formats uh, because of that. You just don't want those down weeks uh, all the time in a head-to-head points league. Last but not least, and did you know, everyone's clamoring to find out your thoughts on Brad Miller, apparently. Oh, Brad, he's Bradigan and not Bad Miller for people who've been listening to the show a long time. Don't worry, I have a, I have a bad Brad coming up a little bit later on. But Brad okay. Miller, three hits on Monday, is now batting 367. He has a 35% line drive rate and a 55% hard contact rate. I don't know if this matters at all, Scott, but like maybe in a deeper league, he's playing well and was hitting towards the top of a decent Cardinals lineup on Monday. I think he has more than walks than strikeouts so far, too. Uh, so, I, I mean, interesting numbers from Brad Miller, a guy who has had productive years in the past. He had a 30-homer season in, what, 2017 for the Rays? Um and like you look at his numbers in a late season stretch with the Phillies last year, really good home run rate then, and really productive and kind of a utility role. Uh, I think that was mostly confined to late in the season. So like there, I, I think there are skills here. Um, it, particularly in recent years, teams haven't stuck with him very long, but he's he's thirty, so I, I'm not ruling out him figuring out something new that can take these these signs of him being a skilled hitter and, and actually become one. Um, he's, he's, it seems like the, the Cardinals are starting him pretty regularly now, at least against righties. So we'll see how long it lasts. I mean, if you're hurting at third base, I think that's the only place he's eligible in CBS Sports Leagues. That is correct. You know, there are a lot of big-name players there, but there are a lot of underachievers so far. I'm not saying you should bench... Uh, who's an underachiever? Yoan Mankata has not been good recently. Whoever. I'm not saying you should bench a guy who was considered a stud at the start of the year for Brad Miller, but somebody more on the fringes like Eduardo Escobar. I don't think he's picked things up yet. Like I could see, I could see rolling with Miller for now instead. Yeah, he is 12% roster on CBS. He only has third base eligibility. You know, more of a deeper league guy in Roto Leagues. If you need a corner infielder, you need a utility. Ugh. The data doesn't lie. I mean, he's he's hitting the ball extremely hard. He's hitting a lot of line drives. And yes, he does have more walks than strikeouts, Scott. So, Brad Miller. There was a time when I was obsessed with Brad Miller. <laughs> just full disclosure. Back when he was with the Mariners and just coming up, I thought he was the real deal. And that's how the the Bad Miller alter ego got started. But uh, I don't know. Maybe he's finally coming through. I don't have any cool did-you-know stats for these Monday standouts, but... Blake Snell, this is now uh, three starts in a row where he's gone at least five innings, back-to-back starts over 90 pitches, but five and two-thirds, two earned runs, nine strikeouts for Snell on Monday against the Blue Jays. Scott, how high do you foresee you know moving Snell back up the ranks? I have him SP16 just behind Granke and just ahead of Gallon and Maeda, and I feel like that's probably a good range for Blake Snell. Ooh, I still got him at 30th. That's tough, because I look at the names ahead of him. Denelson Lamette. Feels like he's basically Blake Snell now, right? Right. <laughs> Max Freed's been awesome. Hyunjin Ryu, you know, Jose Barrios bounced back in his last start. Tyler Glass now. Uh, it seems like there's a cluster of pitchers that are more or less the same thing. I think Snell is going to be a big strikeout guy who struggles to go six innings at a time, which... Puts him, you know, behind the true aces in fantasy, but still in the must-start range. I, I don't know exactly where I want to slot him in, but there's a lot of pitchers with that same sort of profile. Yeah, and it just sounds like he's better in Roto than head-to-head points, but that's 
probably something we expected coming into the season. He's never, you know, been someone that goes very deep into games. Even in his Cy Young season, he just pitched so efficiently. It's But it's not like he was consistently going deep into games. So, uh, yeah, I think Roto, he's better. He's no doubt top 20 there. But points leagues, I might have to... Uh, change things around a little bit, but he looked good. He looked good on Monday. Uh, someone else who also looked good, Stephen Piscotty continues to get it done. He hit his fifth home run. He's now up to 22 RBI. He is 32% rostered. Uh, there's been no shortage of fun outfielders this season, Scott, specifically off the waiver wire. Um, where would Stephen Piscotty rank behind? I, I know you wrote about those names last week, I believe it was. Uh-huh, yeah. Piscotty eight, is... Eight surgers. Yeah. Eight outfield surgers, which included Hampson and Brendan Nimmo, along with some others who have sustained better. But um, eh, doesn't really register. Piscotti <laughs> no, doesn't get it done. N- not yet. I mean, he's behind Randall Grichik, provided he's healthy. Um, he's behind Cronenworth, who's not an outfielder, but you know he's triple eligible, and I'd much rather have him than uh, Piscotti. I think he's still available in like half of CBS Sports Leagues. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, I don't... I dropped Piscotti a couple weeks ago in a 15-team, five-outfielder league. And thinking back to the way that roster looks, I, I don't think I'd add him back if he was available. Yeah, and 32% rostered. Look, if you're desperate in a five-outfielder league or anything deeper, I think it makes sense. But again, it's like... Given all the names that have popped up, it's you're not going to be able to get him in there in a 12-team a head-to-head points league with just three outfielders. Uh, we mentioned what Lazardo did on the other side in that game. Lance Lynn has been nothing short of amazing this season. Six innings, two runs, two walks, eight strikeouts. He's now allowed two earned runs or less in all seven starts. Quality starts in six out of seven. His ERA is down to 1.59. Scott, I don't think there's anything really to add on Lance Lynn, except he's just really good. <laughs> he is really good. Uh, Interesting takeaway, though, from that game is Rafael Montero got the save. I don't know, like, I don't know if the Rangers are trying to ruin him, though, because remember, they brought him in last time and had him throw 42 pitches. You know, they brought him in prior to the ninth and then had him start working a second inning. He ended up blowing it in the second inning through 42 pitches. That was uh, five, six days ago. They Next time out, next chance he gets to pitch, they bring him in in the eighth. It goes fine. He struggles in the ninth. Two hits, one walk, throws 31 pitches. Is able to close it out for the save, but, you know, threw a lot of pitches, a lot more than a closer should, particularly one coming off an elbow injury and didn't make it look easy. So, I mean, Montero is probably still a top 15 save source given the volatility of that role, but I I wish they were handling him a little better than that. Yeah, he loaded the bases in the ninth in a one-run game. He struck out Matt Olson, and then Matt Chapman flew out to end the game, but he did. He made it difficult, as you mentioned. You know, Scott, give yourself a pat on the back here while we're talking about some bullpen stuff, some closers. Jordan Romano, this guy is a lunatic, by the way, because I don't know if you watched him pitch or you saw the highlights, uh-huh. But Pitching Ninja tweeted a bunch of gifts out and videos, and this guy is just like talking to himself, and he's making these faces, and he's crouching down and all over the place. But Jordan Romano, Scott, you called it. You said he might be the the one that is actually the closer for the Blue Jays now. He converted the save up 6-4 to four on Monday. His ERA is down to 0.64. You are now the closer whisperer, Scott. Congratulations. I try, Frank. I try. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it wasn't a clean inning for him at hitting a walk, but the numbers have been dominant so far this year. And I guess he has, I guess he has the closer mentality, right? They're, they're often a little demonstrative. Yeah. Out there. A little off. (laughs) Yeah. No, that, that, that seems like a good fit in more ways than one. So yeah, Jordan Romano is, is definitely somebody I'm adding in every league where, Every league where every saves option option gets scooped up. Are you okay dropping Anthony Bass for him? Yes, I am. If it came to that, I am. I'm not totally sure Bass is out and Romano is in, but I would rather have Romano at this point. Trevor Bauer, I teased him a little bit at the top, but 
All he needed was me to apologize to him, apparently, to go and do something foolish that Trevor Bauer always does. He was still pretty good on Monday. I don't want to, you know, overstate what he did. But six and a third, four earned runs, eight strikeouts, 17 swinging strikes on 109 pitches. Still very good, right? But tinkers with the pitch mix. The fastball usage was down 21% in the start compared to where it was at all season long. The velocity was actually up on the fastball, so it was very weird to me that he threw it less. Uh, and he threw a season-high 27 sliders and allowed 11 hard-hit balls. So, I don't know. I, I don't know what to make of Trevor Bauer, Scott. It's just, when you think you have the guy figured out, he's smarter than you, or at least he thinks he is, and starts tinkering. He, does, he it's, it's interesting that he tinkered with the pitch mix. He has so many pitches he could throw. I think that's always going to be part of it. Uh, I, I mean, my takeaway is simpler than that. Like, you don't get to have a .69 ERA or whatever ERA he had coming into the game. You don't get to have that on skill alone. Obviously there was some luck factoring into that .68 ERA and specifically the luck that I think Bauer had gotten would was good home run luck. My disappointment with him last year was that he went from being a ground ball pitcher to a fly ball pitcher at a really bad time in baseball history to do that. He's actually gone further that direction this year, even more of a fly ball pitcher, so even more vulnerable to the home run. Now, I, I wasn't worrying about it because clearly he was dominating, and if you're missing as many bats as he's been missing, uh, and you know you're not you're not walking guys like you can get away with giving up home runs, but more home runs were coming and we saw two of them in this start. You know, he's probably going to finish with an ERA more around three than around one. And this is, uh, I mean, maybe not, maybe, maybe if it for it to rise that much in a short amount of time that it may not happen over that short amount of time that's left, but you know what I'm saying? Like from this point forward, he might have closer to a three ERA than a 0.68 ERA. And there's not really much you can do with Bauer, right? Like you can't, I guess you can still kind of sell him after this, but you move I, I mean, out. I still see him as a top 10 pitcher. To yeah, are you, you're going to leave him inside your top 10. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, good to know. A uh, few other things. Jack Flaherty bounced back against the Royals. Five innings, one hit, zero walks, three strikeouts, only 64 pitches, so uh, continuing to build up Flaherty. Framber Valdez against the Angels. Just missed out on the quality start, allowed four earned runs, but nine strikeouts. He really liked to see that over six innings. Six ground ball outs to only one fly ball out as well, which is prime Framber Valdez. M.O. This is M.O., baby. Yeah. Now, I take this as a really... Oh, he... he... Did you get the final line? He had 11 strikeouts. He came back in for the seventh. Oh, excuse Seven me. Seven innings, four wow. runs, 11 strikeouts for Framber Valdez. Okay, well, we will take that's, that. That's that's one way to salvage a start where you give up four runs. Yeah, 11 strikeouts. The ERA is still 2.35, and we've been raving about Valdez, so I uh, hope you picked him up for the two-star week or even before that, and this is a really great start to said two-star week for Framber Valdez. Uh, Brad Keller wasn't really a great start to the two-star week for him. Uh, more like Bad Keller against the go. St. Louis we're Cardinals. We're going to keep that going. Everybody named Brad. You're either Brad or you're bad. Five earned runs over four innings. Scott, if you picked up Keller for the two-star week, are you okay dropping him? I am okay dropping him. I don't think it's an automatic drop. I would. I still see him as a high-floor pitcher. He had... I had hoped that maybe he had uh, improved his slider and was going to start missing more bats. And look, one bat start doesn't necessarily rule that out, but the odds are he's the same pitcher he's always been, which is a innings eater who will finish with an ERA around four. And you know, in an environment where innings are hard to come by at starting pitcher, that's that's still useful. So I'd, I'd be cautious about dropping him. Don't Don't make it a reactive knee-jerk thing. But he's his stock is down today compared to yesterday. That's fair to say. Would you drop him for Ian Anderson? I think it depends on how much I expected to use Brad Keller going forward. If if I needed somebody I could trust to slot in more weeks than not, then I'd probably stick with Keller. If it was a shallower situation or he had more pitching depth, then I'd, I'd shoot for the upside of Anderson. How about the other four names we mentioned at the top? Sixto Sanchez, Eliezer Hernandez, Mize, and Justice Sheffield. Is he last on that list? 
I prefer him to Sheffield. Yeah. I prefer Keller to Sheffield, but he's behind all the others. I'm the only one who's in on... And you know what? I thought Chris would be a little bit more excited about Sheffield when I brought him up on yesterday's podcast because he kind of likes Sheffield coming into the year. So, I don't know. It's just three straight quality it, it, starts. He's, he's It's a good. bad situation, and I really... I mean, the whiffs have been unimpressive. All right. So, I don't know. I, I'm not... I'm not saying there's nothing to like about Sheffield. I'm just saying it's 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 a harder sell than the others for me. All right, we're going to take a quick break. If you're a fan of the podcast, we're not asking you to tell the world, but if you could just tell one friend about the podcast and why you like it, we would greatly appreciate that. And I also want to remind everyone that you can watch CBS Sports HQ for free on many different devices. You can watch it on your phone, on your laptop. I watch it on my Xbox. You can watch it all over the place. <laughs> uh, Fantasy Football Today is on daily right now uh, with Jamie Eisenberg and the guys there. So that's great. And I just found out today that I'll be on next Monday helping cover the MLB trade deadline. So if you needed another reason to watch it, I don't know that this is one, but <laughs> CBS Sports HQ, download it and watch for free. All right, we'll take a break when we come back. I just want to take a macro level look at how the fantasy baseball season has looked to this point. We're about halfway through the season, so this is your midseason review. And we have our email of the day here, Fantasy Baseball Today. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. Before we get to our email of the day, fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Continue to send us your emails. Scott, I know you wanted to talk about a few names uh, as well from Monday. Alec Mills, seven innings of three-run ball. Seems like he's going to remain in the rotation at least for now. Uh, Brett Anderson had a quality start against the Reds. And Paul Goldschmidt remained hot, so... Three more names from Monday. What do you got, Scott? Yeah, this was a good start for Alec Mills. Seven innings with seven strikeouts. It was it was really the first time we've seen the strikeouts from him. He'd been thriving mostly on ground balls. Uh, but only nine whiffs on 94 pitches to get those seven strikeouts. So I imagine that was more a matter of facing the Tigers than anything else. Doesn't mean Alec Mills can't still have his can't still be useful from time to time as a big ground ball guy. But not a lot of upside there. Um, and who are the other two? Brett Anderson. Brett Anderson. Speaking of ground ball guys. (laughs) Yeah. Two quality starts in a row for him. I I think I, I wouldn't surprise me, particularly given this pitching environment where so many of us are struggling to fill all our starting pitcher spots. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up being halfway useful as this high floor guy who's, you know, just not going to kill you, basically. Very much so in the Brad Keller mold, I would say, is Brett Anderson. And I'm probably thinking more for a points league than a roto league. Usually in a roto league or a categories league, you have flexibility with your pitcher spots, so you don't have to start a certain number of starting pitchers, and you can go with middle relievers. I, I think most of my roto teams, I'm like four starting pitchers, five relievers, or maybe five and four, but... The six and three standard from past years is is definitely not cutting it this year, or, or much less seven to two, which I used to do sometimes. Uh, and then Goldschmidt, yeah, I, I he had another big day today. He's batting three sixty eight on the year, five oh seven on base percentage, striking out a lot less, not hitting the ball as hard, not hitting as many. 
fly balls. I, I don't think. Let me double check that one. But like it, the profile seems to be geared for batting average at the expense of power. And it might just be a small sample thing. Like every every sample is still small at this point in the season, but especially the Cardinals. Uh, it's it's just it's just interesting. It's just interesting. Obviously, this version of Goldschmidt that we're seeing right now is better than last year's version. But in the long run, what kind of how much power is he going to provide? I'm I'm not sure if he sticks with this approach. If uh, if he's going to be the old Goldschmidt we know and love. Yeah, I mean, what I will say is his hard contact rate, according to Fangraphs at least, is forty five percent. So it's not really dissimilar from last year, but a thirty five point at Fangraphs, Fangraphs. Come on, Frank. His. <laughs> well, are, are we? Are we? It's much lower. It's much lower on. Uh, Have on we graduated to baseball savant? Velocity. Do we only use baseball savant now, Scott? Is that what we do? I just think the way they measure how hard a ball is hit is more reliable than the way fan graphs does, mm. but they break it specifically hard hit rate. I think average exit velocity can be kind of deceiving yes. and maybe oversighted, but specifically if you're looking for hard hit rate, I would trust baseball savant more than fan graphs myself though. You know, I'm, I don't know that I'm necessarily the expert as far as that goes, <laughs> uh, but that's, that's where I stand with it as of now. Yeah, I, I I still like to use line drive rate. I know it's me too. It's kind of wonky. No, I'm, but I'm with you there. They, that's kind of like I, I'm with you there. I I don't think I don't think Statcast really offers a good alternative for that. And I think I yeah no I I think it can still say a lot about a player right. how how high his batting average potential is. And Paul Goldschmidt's line drive rate early on is through the roof. Tiny, tiny sample, especially for that category specifically. How many line drives has any player hit at this point in the season? But Goldschmidt, you know, a high percentage of his batted balls have been line drives. Yes, 35.7%. Last year it was 22%. So he's making a lot of contact. He's making solid contact, at least hitting some line drives. Uh, Just put another check next to the name of players that were on my bust list heading into the season, Scott, and someone that's performing incredibly well to join the likes of Whit Merrifield and Aaron Judge when he was healthy and Bo Bichette when he was healthy. You know, just great, great. I can't hear Bo Bichette without thinking Bo Buffett now. Like, how <laughs> did that not happen before? Email of the day. This one's from Ian McCoy. So I'm in a 10-team auction points league. I tried to follow Scott's rules and ended up with these pitchers as my top five. Luis Castillo, Charlie Morton, Blake Snell, Zach Gallen, Mike Miner. Sounded pretty good on draft day, but it's just not getting it done. So my question is, does this prove Scott's strategy even more that you can never have enough pitching, or does it give more support for Chris's strategy going into the season, which was basically pitching is a volatile crapshoot no matter how much you invest in it. So what do you think, Scott? I would be inclined to say it's validates like I feel validated by my strategy because as I was saying at the top of the show particularly prior to the lockdown when I was going even heavier after starting pitchers like four of my first seven picks basically in every league if not more like those teams are all rocking it now a lot of them have some combination of Bieber Sonny Gray and Lance Lynn on it I'm I'm not you know it certainly helps to pick the right pitchers, but even on te- I'm referring even to teams that have lost Strasburg and Cindergard, which I have a few of those. Um, you know that the having as many arms as I did to fall back on, expecting something like that to happen to somebody I draft somewhere along the way, it's it's paying off. Now, the group you drafted here specifically. You know, we keep talking about Luis Castillo, how he's actually pitching well, even though the results haven't been good. So that's kind of a weird case there. Obviously, Morton got hurt. Blake Snell had his issue. So really only Zach Gallen. You know, Mike Miner, I wasn't really including among the group of good pitchers. He was just the best of the bad pitchers, among the best of the bad pitchers. Um, Zach Gallen is the only one of these four that has really paid off big time for you so far. But Snell's coming around. I'm still really confident Castillo is going to come around. 
I think it's too early to say. If you had drafted another guy here, if your fifth pitcher was one from the good pitching class instead of Mike Miner, let's say it was Yunjin Ryu. Or, or Lance certainly Lynn. Certainly Lance Lynn. Right, exactly. <laughs> things would be going a lot better for you, I imagine. So the bottom line is if you have no pitching, you're dead in the water. You, you have to give yourself a chance by getting good pitching. And, and I think this year has shown, like, there, there isn't, like, beyond that group, beyond that big group of presumed studs coming into the season, uh, there isn't really anything you can bank on after that. There have been, you know, these occasional Eliezer Hernandez's, you know, we thought Ross Stripling was going to be that. Uh, Frambois Valdez, it looks like maybe he's become that reliable, but there's a lot of competition for them, and there's not enough there's not enough reliable arms to go around. And if you didn't give yourself a chance to secure two or three from the start, you just don't have a chance to compete. And I've heard from people who've told me that, having experienced it themselves this year. Yeah, and you know my best team is my home league, my longstanding uh, head-to-head points keeper league. And on that team, I have Garrett Cole, Shane Bieber, and Aaron Nola. So obviously in a points league, like that's great to have. And we were talking before the show, and you mentioned that you have Garrett Cole and Shane Bieber and Sonny yeah, Gray Wars on your Tout Wars ridiculous. team. Because I have, I, have I have that Bieber, right. Gray, Lynn combination and Garrett Cole on top of it. And I'm up like 25 points on the number two team in that 15-team Roto League. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. I, I think that this proves that, look, of course there's going to be a luck factor in playing any fantasy sport. Fantasy baseball, fantasy football, like it doesn't matter. There is going to be a luck mm-hmm. factor. I think that you got a little bit unlucky just with the names that you chose here. Like, I think better days are coming for Castillo. I think the past three starts for Blake Snell, as we mentioned, have been really good. Zach Allen has been a stud basically all year. If you swap out Mike Miner for one of those, you know, Lance Lynn types, like we mentioned, then, you know, this pitching staff looks completely different. So I'm inclined to agree with you, Scott, that it's probably, I was a little bit more skeptical uh, heading into the season about like where pitching would be this year. But honestly, you need, you need those studs. And it's really outside of the top 40 that were drafted. The only ones that have really stood out are Dylan Bundy, and Aaron Savale. It's like everyone else at the top, Bieber, Lynn, I'm looking at the top 10 right now, Darvish, mm-hmm. Sonny Gray, Garrett Cole, Kenta Maeda, Max Freed, Trevor Bauer. Zach Davies is a name for you too, but uh, you know, really it's just the only true breakouts that were going outside the top 40 right now are, are Bundy and Savale. So and, and maybe from Valdez. Yeah. We'll see where he, um, uh, he ranks after this, but he's certainly moving up. And of course, Scott, I didn't leave myself with enough time to do our little mid-season review. Maybe we'll get to it over the course of the next coming days. We can look at some of the leaders and you know every every category and some of the players that have specifically stood out. But, you know, outside of this, I thought it would, was a nice little transition point. Outside of this email, you know, what are some lessons that you have learned thus far in a 60-game season that we are currently about halfway through? Well, that's the big one. That's the one I had prepared to talk about, and I've kind of sprinkled it throughout the show. Um, do you have any that come to mind for you while I I stall to think of more? Um, no, I'm pretty much in the same same place as you. <laughs> that was Look, the big lesson, huh? But I, I will say, like what I've noticed about a lot of the hitters that rank highly are that there are a lot more breakout candidates among hitters and players you could have picked up that were free agents compared to pitchers, at least to this point. I'm looking at names like... Yeah. Pedro Severino and Austin Nola are, t- are top five catchers. Luke Voigt was a late round first baseman. He's a top five first baseman. Brandon Lau, late round second baseman. Um, Kyle Seeger was a free agent ad. Mike Yastrzemski was a free agent at a lot of leads. Anthony Santander, Kyle Lewis. Those are all, I just named three of the top five outfielders in fantasy baseball right now. So I, I would say at least this season, we'll never know what would have happened over the course of six months. You know, would Yastrzemski completely fall off in the second half? Would Kyle Lewis... We'll never know. We'll, we'll, we'll just draft them next year and find out, you know, what happens ultimately. But I think there have been more late round and waiver wire breakout hitters compared to pitchers. The environment's much more conducive for hitting for so many reasons. It's, there's been some talk that maybe they've gone away from the 2019 ball and are more on the 2017 ball, which was still pretty juiced historically speaking, but not to the extent 2019 was. But like 
what has happened to hitting versus pitching isn't all about the ball anyway. There's a lot more to it than that. And um, I think, I just think that's the direction fantasy baseball is going. And like, it's, it's, it exposes you to more risks the more you lean on pitching, but there's just added volatility in the game now. Like you just have to accept the added volatility from that. Um, and, and one thing I would also add that I've, that this season has made clear to me in those categories leagues in roto leagues. Oh, I, I kind of already talked about it. The if you don't have a high end starting pitcher, you know, meaning like a top forty type, uh, in terms of potential, not necessarily performance to date. In terms of how I rank them, basically, which I know is kind of hard to express over a podcast. But you know, go look at my rankings. If you don't have that type of pitcher, you. you probably shouldn't be starting anybody else in a, uh, in a categories league. They're just going to pull down your ratios without enough reward. And you're better off going with, you know, a Matt Foster, um, Tanner Rainey. Isn't that the nationals guy? Tanner yeah. Rainey, Jonathan you know, Hernandez, another name too, where if Montero mm-hmm. continues to struggle, Jonathan Hernandez has been awesome. Yeah. And, and there's always a chance those guys emerge for saves later on, especially over a full length season. So that, like, you know, and, and eventually there may be some other starting pitchers who join that group of 40 and you can trust to trust them enough to start them in a categories league. But I think, you know, moving forward, I'm not going to waste time on crappy pitchers that are just going to pull down my ratios. I'm going to get as many studs as I can, hope they can carry me in wins and strikeouts and fill out the rest of my lineup with, with uh, strong, good ratioed relievers. Fantasy Baseball Today, the official podcast of pitching. That's going to be our slogan heading into next season, Scott. All right, so Team Name Tuesday, we'll hit these up and we'll answer your Apple Podcast review questions over the next coming days here on the show. And I think this is actually a pretty good group here, Scott. So let's uh, let's run through these. Of Mize and Men. Okay, yeah, like it. Devers say Devers again. All right. That's good. Although That's he's good. he's coming around though. Come on, so come on. Let's let's cut some slack to my man Rafi. Oh, Devers. I wasn't taking it literally, but <laughs> yeah, no, he is coming around. Oh no, the the gentleman who sent it in was like, "I'm tired of Rafael Devers. Here's my team name." So, um, Nico de Gallo, or Nico oh. de Gallo, I guess. <laughs> oh wow, it's pretty good. I like that one. I'm a big That's fan good. of Pico de Gallo too. It's, it's- it's awesome. I'm always a little a little wary of changing the pronunciation of a player's name to make the team name work because you don't know how the person reading it is hearing it, you know? Mm-hmm. It's it's a joke that works better spoken than written. But uh but yeah, I like the way you spoke it, Frank. <laughs> 99 problems, but Mitch ain't one. And then he followed up and said, "You know what? I just changed it. I've got 99 problems and they all are all Garver." <laughs> So okay, <laughs> he went from a, a Jay-Z song to a Kid Cudi song. And regardless, it's, yeah, Mitch Garver is a, is a lot of your problems right now in fantasy baseball. It's not been a great year for, uh, for our boy, Mitch Garver. Scott, how about this? If you like Pina Moncada. Have you guys ever had that before? I, you, you probably I, I think we've probably had that one before. Yeah, there have been a lot of Moncada team names. Uh, here's another singing. I'm I'm not a singer. I, Adam used to be the singer. I'll try it, but uh, we can be heroes just for one day. That's a David Bowie song. That was actually a tweet that we got a little bit earlier. David Bowie the cat. David Bowie, yes, Chris's cat. <laughs> okay, but um, I had to look. I had, <laughs> I had to look that song up because I had no idea what it was. Scott, have you ever seen the movie The Labyrinth? I have. David yeah. Bowie. I'm a huge fan. I watched that movie a lot growing up. Yeah, I didn't see it as a kid. I was already a grown up. So maybe it didn't have the same effect on me. It was uh, it was not what I was hoping it would be. Yeah, it's, um, it's kind of a weird movie. <laughs> it was a little slow. On it. That, that's my biggest problem. I don't I don't mind weird. I actually welcome weird, but it was a little too uh, it was it was it was not paced appropriately for a modern audience, I don't think. And I'm surprised Kids would stick with the whole thing. Two ad-inspired team names for you. Lego My Gallegos. Cheers. Yeah. I know that's yeah. your your team name actually in a league that we participate in together. Yep. And dude, you're getting Adele. Adele, like Joe Adele. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, that works. I like that. That's good. Last one from Felix to Hottie Pascotti, which is very relevant right now because Scott uh-huh. Team Pascotti is actually pretty hot. But nice little nice little batch of team name Tuesday here. Continue to send those in. Fantasy baseball at CBSI.com. All right, that'll do it. He is Scott. I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching fantasy baseball today on our YouTube channel. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com, we've done your homework.